Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to My Favourite Work of Art with me, Dr. Laura Jane Foley. Each week, I'm joined in the studio by a guest who tells me all about an artwork that means something to them. Today, my guest is Shamim Sarif, an award-winning novelist, screenwriter and director. She won the Betty Trask Award and the Pendleton May First Novel Award for her debut, The World Unseen, in 2001. Shamim has adapted and directed the films of all three of her novels and her films have won 47 awards internationally. She is the recipient of Best Director Awards for The World Unseen from the South African Film and Television Awards and the Phoenix Film Festival. Her fourth novel, The Athena Protocol, will be published by HarperCollins in 2019. I'm delighted to join me today. Welcome, Shamim. Thank you, Laura. So tell me, what is your favourite work of art? I'm going to say the work of art that I picked <laughs> is called El Jaleo. Um, forgive my pronunciation, but it's a it's a piece by John Singer Sargent, uh, who's an American painter uh, who spends a lot of time in Europe and I think is best known for his portraits, um, usually of wealthy Bostonians, I think, around the turn of the century. Uh, but El Jaleo is a beautiful uh, painting of his that I first came across when I was studying in Boston. Uh, back in the day, doing my master's, and it's housed at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum there. So, for the benefit of listeners, can you describe it for us? I can, I hope so. <laughs> uh, it's really stunning. It's about 12 feet across, and it's a painting of a flamenco dancer who is foreground, um, leaning into this this beautiful dance, uh, and ranged along the wall behind her are uh, musicians, um, one of whom has his head thrown back in sort of an ecstatic uh, feel to the music um, and also a couple of, I think, other dancers probably who are just probably little flashes of colour in this painting. It's almost monochromatic, but the light effects in this painting are amazing and, and super dramatic. There's, it looks like it's lit from below, as if the dancer is sort of dancing in footlights mm. or something like that. And and it creates this this massive shadow effect. And almost half the painting, I would say, is just, the textured back wall mm. of this place where she, where she is dancing, and it's it's there's just something stunning I think about the the shadow play of mm. the of the the long shadows cast onto the wall of the dancer and and the musicians, and the light and dark within 
the piece entirely. I think it's just dramatic, mm. it's exciting. Um, and just from the light and just from the sense of movement, um, to me it creates a sense of that passion that you get um, in a great flamenco dance. Definitely. I mean, it's it's hugely dramatic. It's hugely evocative as well. And you can feel the movement. I mean, just yeah. looking at the image, she's off-centre, the, the main figure, and she's leaning back, as you say, and you can, you can almost hear the rustle of her fabric as she's swaying around in time to the music and in the in the back as well there's a, a chap with his hands so closely together in in just about to clap and it's just a really really powerful image of movement of music and of that ecstasy of being lost in a moment, isn't it? Exactly. And I think it's that power that, that art and storytelling has for all of us um, that's always fascinating to me. And and I think you see a little bit of that there, you know, in, in the reactions on the faces of the of the people around as well, which is, and on her face, in fact, because there's, there's a lot of eyes closed and, you know, moments that feel like almost rapturous mm. within that, which I think is wonderful. It's it's filmic, isn't it? It's cinematic. And in, interesting, I don't know if you know this, but John Wayne used this image as an inspiration for him in the Alamo film. I didn't know okay, that. Well, actually, I've got a little <laughs> still from the image. There you go. So this is a, there's a still, and I'll put it up on uh, Twitter as well when we're, we're, the oh, show goes out. Amazing. And it's a still from the Alamo, and it is absolutely person for person, prop for prop, uh, a recreation of the El Alio painting by John Singer Sargent. I'm interested in that you as a filmmaker have chosen this painting. Yeah. It's a very strong visual image. and But you're a writer too. So I wonder when you're you're working, do you think visually or is it more about words? I mean, how does it... Would you ever do anything, and have you ever done anything like this? Have you ever had an artwork in your mind and then recreated it in one of your films? I haven't directly. Um, I think that there's inevitably been that influence and when you're looking to light particular scenes or particular moments, and I think a lot of that connection is emotional for me. So rather than saying, well, here's a room or here's a Spanish castle or a Soviet prison or whatever it might be, it's more about what is the emotion of that moment. And I think as a director... What I look for when I'm when I'm breaking down a script, even one that I've written, is w- what is the writer trying to achieve here, and is it is is it a moment of betrayal? Is it a moment where somebody realizes that they've fallen in love or they've lost something very crucial? And and to build your film moments around that, and and for that to drive the cinematography, where you put the camera, how you move the camera, and how you light a moment. Um, and I think so. It wouldn't be necessarily something that I would copy exactly along, but I think it, this is absolutely stunning, the John Wayne thing. I mean, I mean, stylistically, it's so beautiful and looks like it probably matches what he was trying to do with the film. Mm. But yes, I do think very filmically, very visually, I guess, when I, even when I'm writing a novel. Um, I think I always have done, and that's probably why the progression from telling a story in a novel and then a screenplay, it made sense for me to then move into directing as well. Mm. What is your background? Did you enjoy art growing up? Was it something in your family? Did they, you know, were you encouraged to go to galleries and museums? Um, a little bit. It was something that I was just naturally drawn to, I think. And by the time I got to university in Boston, I was really into the idea of going to look at paintings, to spend time in galleries. And I think part of that was just having 
the nature of a writer, where I like to spend time on my own. I like to absorb beautiful things. It didn't matter whether it had a direct correlation to what I was thinking about or working on. But I think there's an element of being inspired and being surrounded by things that can inspire you and, and trigger different ways of looking at the world. And all of that, for me, is a beautiful uh, combination of the way art is created. So if you're a writer, I think a moment in a gallery might spur you to something that could be a moment in a novel, it could be a theme for a book, it could be a scene in a film. It's almost impossible to separate all those, those strands. But I think if you work in a, any kind of artistic or creative field, it's just a fabulous thing to be able to draw on all of that talent and all of those exciting views and visuals and ideas that have come before you um, and and to bring that into your own thinking. Mm. So do you remember the first time that you saw this? So you were a student in Boston, but do you remember coming into the room where it was displayed and seeing it? <laughs> I do, actually. Um, and I was I just heard about the Isabella Stewart Gardening Museum by chance. It's, it's small. I, I believe it was once the home of Isabella Stewart Gardner, who's a great patron of the arts. And she really created this beautiful house around a massive courtyard as a place to display all of the art that she had collected. And she was very eclectic and very wide-ranging. So she might have ancient pottery in the same room as a very modern painting for her time. She didn't really think about grouping things by era or by type. She thought about grouping them by the way they felt to her. And I think there's something really exciting about that very personal curation. So with this particular painting, I think she had, I think she borrowed it actually from her cousin who, who originally owned it to hang in her museum. But she created a, uh, an entire gallery just for this painting yeah. to, to be in. And, and it had these beautiful Moorish arches, stone arches uh, placed at one end, which are nothing to do with the painting, but a beautiful ba uh, frame, I guess, a frame outside the frame for it. And I do remember walking into that because there was other beautiful stone pieces in there and this stunning painting at, at the end, it almost looked as if it was lit from outside rather than just within mm. the painting because of the way it had been mm. been uh, been uh, put up. And I, I think her cousin actually gave her the painting after yeah. that. No, so. I, I heard the same story actually, that yes. she, she'd sort of admired this painting that was owned by, I think, someone called Thomason Coolidge. That's right. And she was after it for a long time and, and she finally got him to agree to, to lend it to her. And as you say, you know, he, she created this amazing yeah. place for it to be displayed and that he came back and said well actually I think you'd better keep it because Absolutely. it looks better than it do does it. <laughs> exactly so, so clearly a very persuasive exactly so a good tip person. if there's somebody's yeah. artwork that you that you're coveting <laughs> <laughs> you can set up something amazing in your own house but um but yeah I do remember that really well and mm. I think it was a very special time for me to be in Boston um I was studying doing my master's in English literature so I think in that time when you're sort of completely unencumbered in that student world, I was reading so much, seeing so much, feeling a lot because it was my first real time away from home. Mm. And then to come across this little gem of a place, it became one of my favorite places to mm. go. 
uh, in Boston, but that was a really, it was a beautiful moment to see that because it's really, it's rare that you have a whole room dedicated for just one painting. Mm, yeah, definitely. It is, I mean, it's, it is, it is lovely. I mean, does it remind you of, I mean, have you taken holidays to, to Spain and uh, does it remind <laughs> you of, of, of that kind of... I, I have and it yeah. does. I mean, I th- as you said, it's very evocative of a certain uh, cultural time mm. uh, a particular place and a, a time of day but it, I have been to Spain a few times to Madrid we had the opening of Despite the Falling Snow in Spanish though so we went off to go and see that um, dubbed in Spanish and on the art uh, side of things I we also did a screening a few years ago in Bilbao and it was a festival and we were thinking, should we go, should we not go? And, and I said to Hanan, my wife, I would love to go, if only because of the Guggenheim there. And, you know, I'd love to go see it. So we book and we go off and the screening is on a Sunday night and we, we, we book to go back Monday evening. So we have the day and we do the screening and the Q&A. And to my horror, I found out that the museum was closed on Mondays. <laughs> so we'd come all Difficult. that way and we weren't <laughs> able to see it. So they were doing the Q&A and asking what we thought of Bilbao. And I mentioned this. Uh, And after the screening, one of the fans of the film came up to us afterwards and she said, I work as a curator at the Guggenheim. And if you have your passports, you're more than welcome to come tomorrow and I will give you a private tour of the entire museum. (laughs) So so that was an absolutely amazing, amazing treat. treat. It's just, you know, it's one of those wonderful experiences which, you know, money can't buy. Mm. And it was just great that the, the fact that she happened to be there for the film and loved it created this way for us to go and enjoy some amazing art mm. there. So what did that feel like, being on your own in a such an amazing museum? Oh, I think I could get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I should always see museums in this way. <laughs> but no, it was, it was, it felt like a privilege, yeah. you know, because you, you really, you have all the time and space to, to look at every piece of art. On top of that, she was very kind about taking us around and having a couple of other people come and explain things to us. So it really felt like um, one of those once-in-a-lifetime experiences, mm. really. Mm. Just returning to the painting, have you returned to see it? Is it something that you go and... I haven't, again? but have I had? haven't been to Boston in many, many years. For oh. you know, I, it, Which is weird because I travel a lot, but I think... Um, once you have kids and you have, uh, you know, when I, I do travel to the States, it tends to be occasionally to New York and primarily to Los Angeles for, for work. So it's always hard to justify that extra mm. couple of days in Boston. But I do plan to do that. I would love to take my my teenage boys mm. to the East Coast and just show them. So is it just this painting in particular or do you like other works by Singer Sargent? Because as you said earlier, he's really well known for his yeah. sort of society portraits. Mm-hmm. There's a, My favourite work of art by him is uh, Carnation Lily Lily Rose, yes. which is of the two girls yes. lighting a, a lantern. I adore that painting. Yeah. Um, is it is it just this or is it? Is no, it I I'm a big fan of his work generally. Uh, and they they there was an exhibition here in London a few years back, and I took my younger son to see it, and it had some of those major portraits, Madame X, and mm. um, there's one of Isabella Stewart Gardner as well. Is I don't there? know if that was in London, but yes, I think after she became ill and she's dressed in white, she almost looks like it almost looks like a death shroud. Right. But it's a very, I, but I think Carnation Lily Lily Rose is a really exceptional one too, and I think what. I'm drawn to in those is the lighting again. Absolutely. And I think there's something just very beautiful, impressionistic, I guess. Yeah, definitely. But um, for me, it just evokes that feeling of film as mm. well and being on a set mm. uh, because I really love 
the magic that mm. lighting can create mm. on a film. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, film has the, the benefit of being able to capture those fleeting moments. It's so much more difficult in, yes. in painting and yes. painting from life. But with the carnation Lily Lee Rose, I always remember the thing that I remember about it is that he, he only painted for 20 minutes every day at dusk because there was a particular type of light oh, really? that he liked. So it's interesting you talk about this use of light. And also in the El Alio, you know, the, the light is and the, the shadows, it's so... Uh, it's so much a point of the painting that the use of light and 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 everything. So, talking more about your background in art, and um, are you artistic? Do you like to? I mean, obviously, what you're doing is hugely creative. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to ask if you're doing even more creative things. You write, you direct. I mean, goodness me. Do you, do you put pen to paper? Do you? Very, no, I don't. Yeah. I used to though. I did. Uh, I got to a point when I was, I guess, 14 or so, and you have to choose your. O-levels as they were at that time. Uh, And I didn't choose art. I can't remember what I chose. I have a feeling it was Latin. And, you know, the Romans never re-invaded. So why did I actually need that? I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I enjoyed it. Mm. But I kind of think if I could do it again, I would choose art. And my art teacher was really unhappy with me because Mm. he felt I had potential. But, you know, and I I really enjoyed it. I used to draw a lot for pleasure. I used to... um, copy paintings and pictures out of books. So it definitely was something that I was drawn to. And I think that visual imagery has always spoken to me. But I haven't done anything about it recently. There are a couple of things. One, that is one, and then the other is music. And I I love playing the piano. But again, it's something that's kind of fallen by the wayside, which mm. is a shame because I think all of these things activate uh, and work with each other so, so beautifully. It's just finding the time mm. and the... the energy to put into that as mm, well yeah definitely definitely there's lots of uh music uh, obviously references in alelia there's two guitars on the wall uh guitars playing i mean maybe that's one of the reasons why you're drawn to the painting do you think i think it is actually i never thought of it till now but i think it could well be <laughs> as you because because i i do find music really a big part of my life I mean, I know a lot of people will say that, but it's a big part of how I work as a writer as well, uh, even for novels. I generally always have a music playlist going um, for films and for novels, not necessarily music that I would ever think to put in the film or that might even be right for the film as a whole, but something that might evoke a certain moment of a scene or the way a certain character is feeling even. And I will put all of those together and then... Usually of a morning when I get up, I'll go for a run, listen to that if it's something that I'm working on. And by the time I'm back, usually there's something germinating so that when I get into my writing cabin, it's not just facing a blank screen in oh, a vacuum. So yeah. you have a playlist. Do you have um, a sort of scrapbook of, of paintings? Would you do the same thing for art or is it... Yeah, I have done art and photographs. So you will... I'll also find, for example, there's an, a movie that... Um, an independent film that I'm working on that I'm going to write and direct... Uh, called Polarised next uh, summer, hopefully. And I've already started sort of, you know, I'll end up clipping out paintings, photos, uh, landscapes. It might just, again, be a lighting effect, something like that, so that will... It could be, for example, I would you know take a clipping of this, of mm-hmm. El Haleo, just to say, OK, I really love the way that light hits the skirt and that made me think of this scene. But it might be you know, a girl in a farmhouse, but it's just that we need to see only this part mm. of her and the sunlight coming in through the window. It's. I think it's important because you can verbally speak to your team, uh, especially in film, but it may be interpreted 
slightly differently. So when I work with my cinematographer um, and production designer, I think it's really important to have visual references for them because it just makes it so much easier than saying, oh, I see this really brightly or really uh, impressionistically because that might mean different things to different Mm -hmm. people. But if you can give them three or four visuals, uh, I think it's so much better. So I do start to collate those all along yeah. the way. So you're tempted to do a John Wayne and uh, recreate <laughs> I am, a I am so artwork. very tempted to do a John <laughs> it's Wayne. It's so exciting, isn't it? I, I it. think it's thrilling. <laughs> I'm absolutely astounded by this. I've got to go look up the film now <laughs> and, see, and see how that fits into it. But I think it's fantastic. Brilliant. Thanks so much for coming in, Shami. Thank you very much, Laura. Today we were talking about Alalio by the Impressionist painter John Singer Sargent. Sargent was an American artist who spent much of his life living in Europe. He was born in 1856 and died aged 69 in 1925. During his career, he created around 900 oil paintings and more than 2,000 watercolours. Alalio was painted in 1882. The painting measures nearly 8 foot by 12 foot. Sargent was inspired to paint the large canvas depicting a Spanish painter by a five-month trip through Spain and North Africa in 1879. It is one of Sargent's most famous works and, as we heard on the programme, is on display in the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. If you would like to see the work of art we were discussing this week or carry on the conversation further, you can find me on Twitter, at Laura Jane Foley. And if you want to discuss the show, please use the hashtag MyFavouriteWorkOfArt. The show was recorded at Wise Butter in London. The title music is Blue from Colours by Dimitri Scarlatto. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.